need somebody Help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 169 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is mood disorders, stigmatization and family caregiving. Stigmatization is when someone judges you based on what they believe is a personal characteristic you have. Stigmatization is a common experience for people who have a mental health condition. Stigmatization may be obvious and direct, such as someone making a negative remark about your mental illness or your treatment. Stigmatization may be subtle, such as someone assuming you could be unstable, violent or even dangerous because you have a mental health condition. Stigmatization may be so strong that you may even judge yourself and stigmatization has many harmful effects which is why our topic today, mood disorders, stigmatization and family caregiving, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Dave Golson. Dave is the Associate National Executive Director of the Mood Disorders Society of Canada. In 2002, he created a seven-week skills development program for persons with mental health challenges. He led this program's expansion to six cities across Canada. By 2009, it had assisted the return to work of over a thousand Canadians who were living with mental illnesses, plus the return to school of another 200. The program was recognized by the Sharing the Flame Excellence in Learning from the Canadian Council on Learning. Uh, Dave is co-chair of the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health. He served on the Canadian Psychological Association Task Force on Evidence-Based Psychological Treatments. He's well known in the mental health community, having developed a wide government and stakeholder network through his reputation of leadership through caring. And he's engaged nationally on many committees and panels where he speaks from both a professional and a personal perspective. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you very much, Gordon. It's a very, very great pleasure to be here. Right. Now, let's, please, let me please ask you the first question. Please tell us more about you, how you became involved with mental health. Gordon, I became involved in mental health in many of the same ways that a lot of caregivers become involved in mental health. They are suddenly immersed within it. I was uh, hit by a car 22 years ago. Prior to that, I was an underground miner. That's how I spent my earlier career. But after being struck with the vehicle, I uh, was in the hospital for six months and I was uh, severely uh, injured. I uh, came to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder from the accident itself, and over the ensuing years, through my re- rehabilitation processes, uh, 
I uh, obviously went through depression. Now, uh, both with the PTSD and with the depression, I can tell you that uh, 22 years ago, the stigma that was associated with mental health was even more uh, acknowledged than it is today. Um, but uh, back then, we certainly didn't want to admit to having a mental health issue at anyone, any shape or form. So I, I pretty well uh, would not acknowledge it to myself that I suffer from a mental illness. I wouldn't. I, I, I thought to myself that I, whatever I was going through, I could handle it internally. Uh, so I went through many years of uh, trial and error and uh, going through all of the symptoms and, 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 and so on of PTSD and, and depression. And it took many years before I finally reached a point in my life where I, thought, I said to myself, you know what, I, I have to do something, I have to change. Uh, once I acknowledged that and I went out and I, I sought some assistance and help and uh, ended up going back to school and, uh, and getting a, some education behind me. And, and I ended up working with a disability organization for a while. And through that, I, uh, I worked with people who were trying to get back into the workforce. And um, there seemed to be a lack of services within the community. And uh, my wife and myself and the, my family worked together and with a bunch of local volunteers, and we, we raised some funds, and I developed a program uh, which ended up being very successful, and, and that's how I ended up starting in mental health. Uh, so I've been working within the mental health uh, sector now for oh, 12, 13 years, and uh, I, I'm very much enjoying it. It's my passion. It's my life. It's, uh, it's, uh, I always believe that uh, people are... Uh, end up uh, with a call from somewhere that uh, they end up doing what they what they need to do, and so I feel like uh, I am where I'm supposed to be right now. Dave, um, please tell us about the Mood Disorders Society of Canada, about its mission, and please explain to us the needs the mission is responding to. Dave, sure. Uh, well, we're the Mood Disorders Society of Canada is a national non-for-profit, consumer-driven uh, voluntary health charity. Uh, we're, what we do is we're, we're committed to ensuring that the voices of persons with mental health issues and family members and caregivers are heard and are listened to on issues related to mental health, mental illness, and in particular in regards to depression, bipolar illness, anxiety, and other associated mood disorders. Uh, our mandate includes uh, we try to assist those Canadians suffering from depression, bipolar, and other related mood disorders, their families and caregivers. We educate the Government of Canada and its various departments, mental health professionals, uh, you know, caregivers and their families about mood disorders, the nature of treatments of currently available, and new directions that need to be taken uh, in terms of research. We work to really work hard at eliminating stigma, reducing stigma that surrounds mental illness. As we all know, uh, you know, mental illness itself is really permeated with, with, with a lot of stigma. Uh, a lot of it is caused by just simple uh, lack of knowledge about what mental illness is, what mental illness isn't. Uh, we do a lot of awareness building and a lot of other activities to, to reduce stigma and to raise awareness. Uh, we promote self-help as a useful tool in the treatment of mental illness. Um, we promote and, uh, the development of provincial and territorial mood disorders associations. Uh, currently, we're just seeing the rise of a, of a mood disorders association of Nova Scotia, which we are very, very proud of. Um, we promote research into causes of and cures for mental illness, as well as into all aspects of service delivery to a person with mental illnesses and their families. 
and uh, we advocate on a national level on issues of national importance for Canadians uh, with mood disorders, mental illness, and um, and their families and caregivers. So we really try and uh, be one of the voices for persons with mental health issues out there. Dave, please, will you tell us more about the Society's programs and about the people to whom it provides these programs and how these programs benefit them? Dave? Well, we, um, we try and help a lot of people, I can tell you that much. We have a program, uh, I'll just uh, mention a few of the programs that we do have. Uh, we have a program called What Better Feels Like, and what that program is, it's, a, it's basically a peer support program. Um, we went across Canada and we, we, we interviewed people who had worked their way through depression and who are who were willing to come forward and tell their stories and and uh, go on video and, and do a big report and, and say, you know, the, we went through depression, here's what worked for us, here's what it's like for us right now feeling better, and here's some of the key things that we use in order to uh, help recover from the mental illness. And we provide that to all the Canadians. It's accessible on our, our website. We provide a national online discussion forum uh, for persons with the mental health issues or family members or caregivers. It's a safe and secure place for them to go. Um, a lot of people, when they first um, come to the realization that they might have a mental health issue and they're a little bit afraid, they're a little bit scared to, to walk outside their comfort zone and, and go and talk to somebody. So we provide a, a place on our website where they can go and they can, you know, uh, put, put a comment in, you know, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm experiencing right now. Do you have any thoughts? Do you have any ideas? And, uh, we're, you know, it's ran completely by persons with mental health issues, and it's just an incredibly supportive environment where people can go and share their their feelings and their thoughts and their fears and their and their anxieties and and you know you get wonderful feedback incredible feedback it's just i can't uh, say enough for the, the the support that's involved in that in that process do a lot of um, anti-stigma work we have a national anti-stigma program called the elephant in the room campaign uh, this campaign has rolled out to universities and workplaces across Canada. It's just an incredibly successful program. Oftentimes, people want to talk about mental health issues, but feel like they don't know where is you know a comfortable place to talk about it. So the whole concept of this campaign is just provide a small little blue elephant and some posters in your workplaces or in your school or in your office, and those those posters and, and the elephant itself is just basically a symbol that says to people that see it, that, you know, this is a safe place for you to come and talk about a mental health issue without uh, feeling that you're going to be looked down upon or, or discriminated against or, or that we're going to write it down somewhere and hold it against you or something like that. It's a safe place and, and if I can't help you, then I can certainly provide you with the, you know, the referral information that you need to, to go reach out and get some help in the community. Um, one of the things that we've uh, noticed from a pan-Canadian survey we, we did uh, last year was, and, and some uh, other uh, in-depth research that we've conducted, is that, that stigma itself is very, very high within the healthcare profession. And so um, what we've done is we work with the Canadian Medical Association and we've developed a national anti-stigma continuing medical education program for CMA's 76,000 family physicians in Canada. Um, it's a program that's been accredited by the Family of uh, College Physicians of Canada, and 
and physicians get their accreditation hours by taking the program. So what we're trying to do is is help them and provide them with some of the tools and resources and, 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 and information that they need in order to ensure that they're delivering their services free of stigma and discrimination. And it's been very, very successful. We've partnered with uh, the Mental Health Commission of Canada, CMA, as I said, Canadian Psychiatric Association, and and, uh, and the North Bay Regional Health Centre and some other great organizations, and it's been very, very successful in, in terms of moving that agenda forward. Dave, uh, I'm going to have to stop you there because okay. of the, what I call the tyranny of time. Okay. Um, this is where we have to pay the rent by taking a short break, so we're going to do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dave Golson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dave Golson. Our topic is mood disorders, stigmatization and family caregiving. Let's now talk about the challenges created by mood disorders for persons who live with these and for their family caregivers. So Dave, first off, please give us some examples of mood disorders and explain for us the challenges that these create for the persons who experience them. Well, okay. Um, I think, first of all, I'm just going to let you know that, you know, about 10% of Canadians have a mental illness in Canada and, and roughly about 8% will experience depression in their lifetime. But some of, I think the, the two main issues that I want to talk about in terms of mood disorders is both depression and anxiety disorders. Uh, depression strikes about 4 to 5% of Canadians at any one time, and women are twice as likely as men to experience depression. But the, the one unbelievable fact is that the age of onset for depression is, always in, is usually in adolescence. Children under youth under 20 years of age have the highest rate of depression symptoms. One of the good things is that uh, 80% of people who are depressed respond well to treatment, but one of the bad things are that 90% of people who are depressed never seek treatment. And 
in a lot of those instances, the reason that they don't reach out for, for treatment are, are, are twofold. One is they, because of the stigma that's associated with, with, the, with, with, the, with the mental illness, they want to hold off on acknowledging that they might have a mental illness. Just because of the, the stigma that's permeated throughout you know, society, throughout movies and television and news broadcasts and so on and so forth, you know, those, those are key issues that we have to really as a society look at and, 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 and advocate for education and awareness. People with depression and anxiety disorders need to know that it's treatable mental illness, it's, it's, a, it's an illness the same as a physical illness, and the trick of it is to come forward quickly and as early as possible for treatment options. So, uh, so some of the I think maybe I can cover a couple of the signs of, de- of depression. You know, depression is a sadness throughout the day, almost nearly every day for for extended periods of time. I mean, everybody gets sad and, and unhappy every now and then in their lives. I mean, that's part of being a human being. But if it comes to a, a, a situation where it's really affecting your sleep, your your eating habits, your work habits, your cleanliness, your personal hygiene for extended periods of time you know, two weeks, three weeks, and it's time to maybe look out and, uh, and, and, and seek some, some assistance. Uh, I, I, the other thing I want to talk about is a little bit about is anxiety disorders. And it, it, First of all, it's the most common mental illness in Canada. 9% of men and 16% of women will be affected by an anxiety disorder in any given year. You know, you're talking about generalized anxiety, specific phobias, PTSD is also under the anxiety disorders, social phobias, obsessive compulsive disorders, panic disorders. There's all kinds of, you know, of different anxiety disorders. And some of the signs are, are some of them are, are quite similar to depression, wherever there's other things like outbursts of, 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 of uh, you know, uh, uh, changing behaviors, losing your appetite, difficulty sleeping, rebelling against authority, uh, lower marks in school, lacking energy, sometimes uh, bullying, uh, constantly worrying, not doing things that you want to enjoy. All of these are signs of anxiety. So, uh, you know, it, it, it can be challenging, especially for youth. I mean, mental illness can make things in their life seem very, very difficult. School, socializing with other people, dealing with their daily routines can all of a sudden become almost incomprehensible, you know, challenging to an, to an extent where it's actually you know, demoralizing them so that they don't even want to try. So that's why it's very, very important that... If, if a person is going through these forms of uh, experiences, it's, it's time to reach out for some help. Got it. Dave, now I want to ask you about the challenges faced by family caregivers caring for family members with exactly the disorders, that, mood disorders you've been talking about, depression, anxiety, and all the others as well. So what about the challenges faced by family caregivers? Dave? Well, two main things here. Number one, Caregivers do not have adequate support in any way, shape, or form. And one of the reasons for that, or one of the outcomes of that, I guess you'd say, is that it starts compounding. Everything compounds like a snowball going down a hill. So as I started out this interview, I said to you how I began to become involved with mental health was being immersed in it because of my accident. Well, people who are family caregivers... It could be a family member, it could be a father, a brother, a sister, a daughter, an uncle, it could be a good close friend, it could be a, a co-worker. They mostly, usually, have never been experienced within mental health. They don't know what, you know, in-depth knowledge about depression. They've heard about it on TV, they've heard about it on the radio, they've heard about it in, in, in quick conversations, but they don't 
know a lot of details about depression. They don't know a lot of details about anxiety or PTSD and everything. So all of a sudden they have a, a member of their family who is now going through some very serious issues, some very serious changes in behavior, changes in thought patterns, changes in, in the way they, they, they act, the way they talk, the way they think. And it's very difficult for a family caregiver to understand what's going on. So now they have to try and reach out for, for help. They have to try and reach out and deal with the, the, the mental health system, the healthcare system. Uh, they don't know where to go, so the, the, that's a learning curve. And then they find out when they go through, if they, if they go to the, the emergency room at their local hospital, if they have a family doctor and all that stuff, then they start to understand what's going on with the, with the healthcare system in Canada is that there's an extensive amount of waiting time between the time you reach out for help and the time you can actually sit across the table from a psychologist or a psychiatrist and receive ongoing health care that is going to deal with that mental health issue. We, in, in our national survey, in, in some instances, the average waiting time to see a psychiatrist is a year in Canada. That's just, you know, it's, it's just not acceptable. So when a family caregiver is going through these kinds of issues, they need that support, and they're not getting for it. And, and that's because that there's not enough funding in the mental health system in Canada to provide mental health care for all of the people who need it. Now, Dave, let's go back to stigma. And let me ask you how stigma is actually experienced by persons living with, you know, the mood disorders, the depression, the anxiety disorders, how the stigma affects them directly and their families and their family caregivers. Stigma. Dave, please. You know, Gordon, everybody wants to belong, but it's really, really clear out there that many people are denied, you know, the opportunities of uh, complete acceptance like other people do. Uh, people with mental illness call this stigma and discrimination. Others call it social excuse and whatever, whatever kind of language, whatever words that you choose about it. It's the biggest barrier to seeking help and recovering, and it, it's really harmful. Uh, you know, a good friend of mine said one time, there's an attitude out there that if you come back from cancer, you're a hero, but if you come back from the depression, you're damaged goods. Now, if we just think about those words for, for an instance, you know, we, it, it's really, really true. Um, you know, if you, if you think about a friend or, or a relative or an associate that you know that has come back from depression and they come back into the workplace, most people are afraid to approach that person and say, welcome back. You know, they don't know the words to find, but if they came back from a boat of, of cancer or another physical illness, they'd go right up to that person and, and welcome them back. So that it, there's just that fear that, that exists out there. So I think that's, that's part of the stigma. Often what I find in, in terms of family caregivers is that, uh, you know, some health care providers don't really recognize the value that caregivers bring to the table. And, and this is not an over, over, over claim towards healthcare provider, because by and far, I mean, I, mean I, I certainly know the value of healthcare providers, but sometimes um, a family caregiver can, can be looked at as not having the skills that are necessary to adequately treat that person. But that's where we need to work in a collaboration, and all of us need to sit at the table together, the patient, the caregiver, the health care provider, the mental health specialist, you know, the community support peer worker. We all have to share these roles, and we all have to work collaboratively and, 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 and put that person at the center, because it's all about helping that person through the mental health issues that, that they're facing. And we have to remove 
the practices of blame and exclusion from the from the whole the whole concept of recovery and and, and working with it together. Dave, I just want to pick pick up that word blame because the, in Canada's history, in history in the history of North America, there was a time when basically the family got the blame when a member of the family developed some kind of mental illness. Um, now, let me ask you first off, is that something you would call stigma? That is stigmatization of the family. And in any case, is that something that still exists? And if it does still exist, are we doing enough about it? Well, Gordon, it's, it certainly still exists. It's called stigma by association. Now, stigma by an association can be a family a member, can be a family caregiver, it can be a friend. Um, you know, it's it's just you know you 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 have a brother. I mean, when I was in school, I'm you know 50 years old. When I was in school, and 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 if I had uh, you know a mental illness myself, or if my, my brother would have had mental illness, if I would have went out to, to school in the research yard and we talked about it, you know, we would be ostracized. People would ignore us. Uh, because it was, it was just that stigmatized back then. Now we, we've come a long way, and I'm so proud of of the youth of our of our country nowadays. Uh, you know, and across across the, as far as I can see, the North America that the youth right now are really coming forward and tackling the stigma in leaps and bounds. They realize through uh, tragically the amount of people who are suffering out there that something has to be done. So, you know, in terms of the stigma by association, I, I see it being reduced, but it exists throughout society. It, it exists within healthcare itself. I mean, how often do you hear of the fact that, uh, you know, mental health nurses are not really nurses, or, or psychiatrists are not really doctors and stuff like that. There, there's, there's, there's stigma by association if, if a mental health care worker or a health care worker happens to work within the psychiatric environment, then they're almost stigmatized by other health care providers out there. And, uh, I mean, all of us can ask our own family physician if this is true, and they'll all validate that. So the stigma association happens within the person with mental illness and their families and friends, but it also happens within the healthcare system itself. Right. Dave, now it's the time when we have to take the break again. Um, and so I'm going to do that now because um, in our next segment, we're going to go into the methods of combating the kind of things you've been talking about. So, Take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dave Golson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dave Golson. Our topic is mood disorders, stigmatization and family caregiving. So now let's talk more about the ways in which um, stigma of persons with mood disorders can be combated. So Dave, please talk about stigma in the workplace and in the wider community and how it can be combated. Well, Gordon, I tell you, I do a lot of workplace presentations. I do them for the federal government ministries and uh, and large organizations and companies, and I do it for mid-sized companies, and I, I travel across Canada talking to employers and, and, and staff within all kinds of uh, companies about mental illness within the workplace and the prevalence of it. One of the first things that I always do is I try to get across the understanding that mental illness is a part of life. You know, we have, as a society, tried to pigeonhole mental illness in a corner all the time and said, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's so, so bad and so terrible, and if you have mental illness, you're, you're damaged goods and all that stuff. And, and that's, not just the, that's just not the case. Mental illness is part of us being a human being. We're all uh, part of a... We all go through things in our lives that... Uh, cause pressures and stressors within our lives. And these kind of things can lead to a mental illness, can lead to depression. You know, environment, external environments can, can help lead to the, the, the depression. Yes, some of it can be biological in nature, but there's no real um, formula out there that will preclude you having depression or preclude you to have anxiety disorders. There's certainly a lot of things that can uh, raise your chances of going through those illnesses. There's no real, uh, you know, formula for, for causing depression in your life. Now, when you start to understand that, and I'm talking specifically within a workplace environment now, when you start to realize that it's okay to have depression, and it's okay to have anxiety disorders or PTSD or all other mood disorders, and, and you know, it's, 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 it's normal as a human being to go through these things, then we can start, you know, eliminating that stigma and getting rid of that. And I think that's, that's such, a, such an important thing. And, you know, if you're a person with mental illness within the workplace, then the first thing you do is you get treatment. Don't allow the stigma to hold you back. From seeking help, don't allow you know self doubt or, or shame to enter the situation. And you need to inform others. You need to help educate your coworkers to understand mental illness. You need to share your story. You need to be a champion. You need to be able to go about if you feel comfortable talking about your experience. 
then speak with others about it because guaranteed there's many more people within your workplaces that also are going through things and could use that form of support. Right. Dave, it's the same question, but now in relation to the healthcare system on part of on the part of healthcare professionals in their in their interactions with persons with mood disorders and with their family caregivers. And so what I'm asking you is how can sigma stigma in that context be combated? I just did a, a webcast with an associate uh, for a couple hundred people in a healthcare field in, in, in Canada. And we talked about the the continuing mental education anti-stigma program we developed for the family physicians, and they were very, very adamant that they needed for other for nurses and other healthcare professionals as well. So we just signed a, a memorandum of understanding with the Canadian Nursing Association. So we're going to develop one for them as well. And I, I think, in terms of uh, how it can be combated, is is the number one thing is people have to understand that each one of the people that appear in front of them is, is a human being. Uh, of course, you know, and, but a mental health issue is not something that people make up, to, you know, tend to make up. If they're going to a hospital, if they're going to an emergency room, if they're going through a, through, through a family clinic and they're coming forward with, with, with depression or anxiety or any other mental illness, you know, it's because they need the help. And the triage system currently often doesn't triage uh, a mental illness such as depression because it's, it's often kind of a hidden illness. It's not a bleeding nose or it's, or it's not an ulcer or it's not a broken arm. It's something internally. So often a person will end up sitting in a corner in the emergency waiting room for often many, many hours uh, behind other people who also are there because of, a, for, uh, because of an illness. But the mental health issue or the mental illness that's happening within that person is also very important to address. So some of the things that uh, I would suggest in order to, uh, you know, uh, try and, and help the healthcare profession reduce stigma is just the education and awareness and contact-based education, learning from people who have gone through experiences themselves, who share their stories. That is the best method of reducing stigma, in my opinion. Right. Um, I want to put to you something that a previous guest on this show suggested um, he, like you, had been talking about his own experience with a particular type of mental illness. Um, he was now well on the road to recovery, if not fully recovered. And I asked him at the end, um, what would he like to see done um, by way of moving forward, improving the situation? And here's what he suggested. He suggested education about mental illness for children in school as a way to increase their understanding of mental illness. Now, what do you think of this guest suggestion as a way to combat stigma? What importance generally do you attach to education combating stigma? I think you've already answered that, but I want you to say more. And who do you think should provide this education? Dave? I think I'd even go one better than that. The first thing I'd like to do, I'd like to see, is I'd like to see educators themselves uh, provided with mental health training 
you know, whether it's mandatory mental health training or whatever, but, you know, they're dealing with uh, their students within, within the school system, and they are like employers. Employers, in my, in my opinion, need to have mandatory mental health training for all, all managers. Uh, educators, if they're working with children, if they're working with youth, if they're working with, with kids, they need to be able to spot potential mental health issues uh, and, and be able to actually sit down with the students and see if the student wants to talk about things or, or, or be able to refer them to the school counselor and all that stuff. But being able to do that, they need to know how to do it properly. They need to know how to do it appropriately and, and with empathy. I mean, you don't just walk up to somebody and say, oh, geez, you look like you have depression. Do you have depression? You don't, you don't approach people from a mental health perspective in, in that way. You talk to them, and, and, and if they open up, then they open up. But if they don't, that's okay, too. But it's in order to spot these things. So the educators have to be educated on mental health. And another thing that people have to understand is you don't have to be a psychologist. You don't have to have three years or five years or ten years worth of mental health training. You just need basic mental health awareness and education. That's what you need. Secondly, on the second uh, uh, part of that question, students should absolutely have mental health training, stigma reduction, and awareness activities built within their curriculum in all schools across Canada. It should be part of our uh, of our education. I mean, we're going to the public school myself when I was a young feller, and we had uh, health education classes in our school, but we never, ever had mental health training in our school. And uh, I'm sure that uh, most listeners out there are the same way, but it's time that this is put into our school system curriculum in all schools. And I'm happy to see that a lot of schools are doing it, are bringing in some, uh, some mental health training, but it has to be part of all provincial uh, educational policy. Now, so in other words, just to sort of go back on this question, just to clarify, you are in agreement with um, the guest who said education for kids in school, children in school, but you're saying there's a preliminary step, which is to educate the educators who are going to do that education. Um, who's going to deliver the education to the educators, Dave? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of organizations that can provide that education. I mean, we also have the Mental Health Commission of Canada who who does the Mental Health First Aid training, which is some very in-depth and and excellent training that provides a good, solid basis, an overview of mental health. But, you know, that is also part of the mandate of the provincial educational ministries that they have to, and, you know, this is one of the things that I I strongly advocate on a continual basis is that I I, I really don't believe in in reinventing the wheel. And what we have is we have some provinces who have some great educational resources developed for their schools' educational systems. And what we need to do is, is, is work collaboratively as a nation and make sure that there is firm curriculum developed for all teachers and all, on all staff of schools so that they all take this training and it's transferred across Canada. Simple. It's very easy to do. It's, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's just a, you know, a PD day, day or something like that. They could take their mental health training and then put it into the curriculum for all schools. So it's you know it's not you know rocket science. It's it's basic uh, core education that will increase awareness and reduce stigma, which in turn 
eliminates discrimination. And that's what we all want to do. Because at the end of the day, this all is about early intervention, awareness, and acknowledgement. Because if a person is not willing to acknowledge that they might have an issue, they're certainly not going to come forward to reach out for help. And that's just going to compound the problem. So just to go round back again over what you've been saying, that is educating children in such a way that they can feel that it's okay to talk, okay to share their experience and to share their concerns about themselves because people are, first of all, willing to listen and second, are wanting to understand and be helpful in one way or another. Now, just very quickly, have I got that right? You certainly do, Gordon. Okay. Now, at that point, I'm going to take the break once more. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dave Golson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated. Hear about success stories and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dave Golson. Our topic is mood disorders, stigmatization, and family caregiving. Now, Dave, I want you to tell us more about what you would like to do and what you would like to see done to help combat stigma of persons with mood disorders. And I want you, please, to say what your messages are for healthcare professionals and for family caregivers caring for a family member with a mood disorder. So first of all, what do you want to see done and what do you want to do to combat stigma for the kind of disorders you've been talking about? Well, 
I want to see some expansion of some of the current programs in Canada. I, I look at the Bell Let's Talk campaign, and I just think that's a, a wonderful initiative where it's really, really starting the conversation on, on you know, the one day in February every year where people are tweeting and and and, uh, and uh, making long distance phone calls about mental, you know, to support mental health organizations. But it's, it's starting the conversation. So, so that's one initiative. I, but there's there's so many initiatives across Canada that's going on that's raising the level of conversation. We need to push it farther. I'd like to see more mental health programs on television. I'd like to see a little bit less stigmatization of, of mental illness within the media, within the, within television programs that that are that are occurring right now. I think that every time that um, you you watch a news program with with some of these uh, terrible. Uh, situations that are happening out there. I mean, one of the first things that comes up is uh, mental illness and stuff like that. And people need to understand that, that mental illness is not uh, something that is, uh, you know, directly linked to, to violence in, in, in all of these situations. And, you know, people with mental illness are far more likely to be the victim of crime than to be a perpetrator of crime and stuff like that. But that's not the way it, 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 it's permeated throughout uh, throughout society. Uh, so I think awareness, education, and, and, and uh an acknowledgement about what mental illnesses are and what mental illnesses aren't is really something one of the key things in reducing stigma. That's throughout all of society. So basic education, which can be accomplished within the school system, as we spoke about earlier, is is one of the key things. In terms of, you know, what my message is for you know healthcare professionals and family caregivers caring for. You know, family members. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've got a few messages for you. First of all, uh, you know, and, and, and primarily, thank you, uh, because you know, you're, you, the family caregivers in particular, healthcare professionals are a dedicated uh, group of people who really, really strive, and you know, they need more support too. And I and I, I want to point out that, and because of the healthcare system that we that we have. Uh, whether it's a family physician or or a, or a mental health worker at a, at, a, at a community resource center, you know, oftentimes they are swamped. They are just overloaded with the amount of of, of people who are coming forward for help. And, and and again, going back to the need for increased health care spending, dedicated mental health care spending, where perhaps some additional funding is transferred from the federal government to the provinces, uh, with the caveat that it's got to be spent on the health services and not, you know, transferred into general revenues, but um, but increased services and increased supports for mental health professionals is crucial. In terms of, and I know I'm going a little bit long here, but in terms of caregivers uh, for for uh, for a family member, you know, just uh, you know, thank you for your patience and thank you for your, you know, the, the the amount of time that you put into it because I know how stressful and and and, and how much of a of an increased workload that it, it can it can put into your life by having to all of a sudden, as I said a couple times during this interview, suddenly be immersed in mental health, not knowing much about it previously, and having to not only educate yourself and become familiar about the changes that is happening within your loved one's lives and, and, and the limitations, because with a broken arm or, or a broken leg or something like that, you know that you know you go to the hospital, you get it set, you know, you put a cast on for six weeks, you go through some, some recovery time, but it's going to get better. But with a mental health issue, you know, 
there is sometimes such a large sway between uh, the recovery processes and the, and the first of all acknowledging what the mental health is, seeking help and getting some counseling and and, and and sometimes there's medication that's involved as part of the recovery process and, and sometimes the medication doesn't work the way it's supposed to work and there's a trial and error process there and everything like that. So there's so many different compounding facets to the recovery process with a mental health issue and family caregivers are always being asked over and over again to be understanding, empathetic and everything with their family members and of course they are, but it is challenging. It is challenging for a family caregiver. So, so you know, primarily, thank you for, for the help that you're given. Right. Dave, I want to ask you a little bit more about family caregivers and what they go through because You've, you will have heard, as I have heard, um, how family caregivers undergo stresses which undermine their physical health, their mental health, and their financial health. And they do, that comes about because of all the pressures on them arising out of all of the challenges you've talked about. So here's a question, and I'll admit to you it's a loaded question, but here's the question. Are we recognizing enough the burden, the stresses, the strains, and the challenges for family caregivers when it comes to their own health and ability to deliver the care to their family members? What do you think? Absolutely, Bob. They're, you know, family caregivers are usually supportive uh, personalities. They're, they're persons like mothers who are often more willing to give up of their own wants and their own needs and their own desires for the for the goodness of their children. And, and you know, family caregivers are always doing that. They they give give of themselves until it hurts, as you say. Uh, and you know, the stresses, as I, as I spoke about a little bit earlier, the stresses that are involved in coping with the different levels that they have to cope with through the process of with their loved ones is incredible. It's an incredible amount of you know stress within within their lives but oftentimes it's a financial situation that's also very very costly for a variety of reasons one of the things that I we you know we strongly advocate for is you know we have a lot of mental health support services within Canada the problem is here's one of the problems that I could point out right now the problem is that seeing a psychologist in provinces and territories across Canada is not covered by provincial health care plans unless you belong to certain institutions or certain hospitals or something like that. But for generalized Canadians, you cannot use your OHIP or BC health card to pay for continuing psychological services. You can use it for psychiatric services, but seeing a psychiatrist takes a lot longer than seeing a psychologist. So if we would just take that one step, if the governments would get together and take that one step and say, you know what, we're going to include 10 or 12 meetings with a psychologist per year under our provincial health care plans, that would take such a load off family caregivers, it is unbelievably beneficial to the whole system because you're addressing so many things in one, one aspect there. You're addressing early intervention, access to services, you're freeing up the healthcare systems, you're lessening the burden on family caregivers, you're, you know, you're doing so much just in that one step. 
So if I could do, if I could ask your listeners to do one thing, is to pick up the phone or pick up the the typewriter and type an email to your local MP and your local MPP and say that you advocate for, you want to see psychological services covered under professional health care plans. Because that is just, you know, it's it's just so important that we, especially with our youth, but also our seniors, one thing that we rarely talk about is the lack of psychological services for our seniors. You walk into any old age home and you see some of the loneliness that's going on, you go into, you you know, our, our senior citizens are people who have created this country, who have broken their backs for us. And we're basically shelving them, and we're ignoring them, and we're ignoring the pain that they're going through. So, you know, this, this, this addresses all levels of society. It's not just a youth issue. It's just not, it's not just a seniors issue. It's everybody. I'm just going to give you my own view of what you just said. Okay. And that is, I support you for what you said, for all of the reasons you said, and maybe one or two more as well. And that one of them is that it makes no sense for family caregivers to exhaust themselves physically or psychologically and then become patients for the healthcare system when, with the kind of support you're talking about, Dave, the kind of things you want family caregivers to write about, um, they could have kept themselves at their full strength as family caregivers, could have coped much better. Not that they failed to cope, it was that the system, by failing to support them, um, led them into a situation of that exhaustion. So I think what we're both talking about is a question not only of fairness, because that's important, but also of kind of common sense of caring for the caregivers uh, of all types, family and professional, so that they deliver the care that is needed to deal with this hugely important issue that you've been talking about, which is mood disorders. Now, unfortunately, I'd love to go on um, uh, haranguing you and the audience <laughs> about my views, but I think you and I are, are together in what we believe in. So I want to say thank you very much to you, Dave, for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice, and also the strength of your belief in what you're doing and what is needed to be done. So I don't know how much more we can expect of you, but we certainly expect it because of your leadership and because of your caring. And I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear from you, your comments on this episode. And we'd also like to hear from you about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Now, for our next um, episode, we'll talk about priorities for Autism Speaks Canada and autism. So please join us same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. 
thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guest 